0: Good morning. I should probably bring my Bible with me. That might help, All right? I should probably have this. That'd be good. I need my, hold on, get my clicker. Clicker, that'd be helpful. Okay, good. All right. Oh, well, I should probably, that, that might be helpful <laughs> as well. Ooh, man. It's okay, make sure I'm on. Okay, I am on. Oh, man, it's not good. It's not a good feeling to not be prepared. Am I right? We like being prepared for things, for vacation. We wanna be prepared. We don't want to get to the morning of vacation and realize we haven't packed, we haven't done any laundry, we don't know the plan, the route that we're gonna take. That's not good, we wanna be prepared. Not only does it help us not feel as bad, but it also helps others around us to not feel as awkward. Because I'm sure some of you are thinking like, oh no, Pastor Matt is not ready for this. That's not good. And so for the message this morning, since I'm talking about being prepared, I decided to not prepare anything. So we'll just, we'll just see how this goes, okay? Does that sound good? Be a good life illustration and see how it looks like to not being prepared. <laughs> that might not be the best. Imagine waking up Christmas morning, the kids are all running to look under the tree, and there are no gifts anywhere. And the only reason is because You forgot it was Christmas. (laughs) You forgot to prepare yourselves. Or maybe you didn't even decorate because you forgot Christmas was coming. It happens every year. Same day, every year. You can kind of plan on it, but sometimes we're not always prepared. I asked a few people in the the foyer, just are you ready for Christmas? How ready are you? And um, some said, I'm there. Some are like not even close. And if we're honest, maybe a lot of us aren't really quite ready because we still have Enough days to get ready for that Christmas morning. Being prepared. As we begin to look through the life of Jesus, our theme is following Jesus, following the life of Christ. We want to be prepared for this, and so as we're walking through this series that's going to take us from now until Easter, we want to be prepared at least understanding what the Gospels are all about. We're not going to be walking walking through just one book of the Bible, uh, just one Gospel. We're going to try to take a variety of the Gospels to help us get this fuller picture of who Christ is. So something that might help us out a little bit for us to have an understanding of the different Gospels, to know, notice who wrote to who. Matthew wrote to Jewish people and he tried to portray Jesus for them to see him as the king of the Jews. Mark wrote mainly to Romans and also Gentiles and portraying Jesus as the suffering servant. And So we're going to see words in those Gospels that will portray Jesus and show him in that way. And that is their main focus for these different Gospels, different people they're writing to, and different focuses. They're just trying to focus their attention in certain areas. Kind of like as I'm going to be preaching this message from Luke 1 this morning, I would preach it a little bit differently if I was down in twos and threes. It's the same passage, the same truth, same meaning to the text but I'm going to be doing it in a different way. I'm going to be drawing out different applicational points for two- and three-year-olds as I would for you all, and you should be thankful for that. But we need to understand that just because one passage, one like this here in Luke chapter 1, that is very unique and nowhere else in Scripture do we have uh, 25 of these verses in Luke 1, we don't have them anywhere else. But it doesn't mean that it didn't actually happen. It doesn't mean that the Gospels are contradicting each other if some pull out different points or different details than others. As you can see from this picture, the different Gospels choose to highlight different areas of Jesus' ministry. So we need to understand they're not contradicting each other. As we pull from different ones, we need to prepare ourselves and remind ourselves that God's Word is speaking truth of Jesus' life to help us get this fuller picture of who Jesus is. So, are you prepared for Jesus? Are you prepared for Jesus to come again? Are you prepared to read his word and to believe it? Are you prepared to do all things for the glory of God? Open your Bibles. I would invite you to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at select portions here. And I hope that it helps us to get a better understanding of this guy named Zachariah. And how he wasn't quite prepared, but he eventually got there. So verse 5 of Luke chapter 1, let's begin reading verses 5 through 7 together, and then we'll pray. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Let's pray. Lord, help us this morning. Help us to have a heart that is prepared to receive your word, to be challenged, not just in what we think about Jesus or what we think about this text, but that challenges us in being prepared to go out and live more for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our setting today comes to us from Herod, here king of Judea. Herod was a great tyrant. He was a very evil person. He did some very terrible things, as we'll find out later. But even though he was evil, he was actually pretty popular. He helped lower taxes, and he also he helped rebuild the temple. So a lot of Jewish people were kind of excited about this guy. He did some nice things for him, but yet we're going to see how ruthless he is later on. But right now, Rome is on the scene, the Roman Empire. It's kind of funny how you go back to the Old Testament, you find no mention of the Roman Empire or Romans anywhere, but then you jump 400 years from Malachi to the Gospels, and then all of a sudden, here's Rome. There's no more Babylonians. There's no more Philistines. Where did they go? Just kind of an interesting side note. It's amazing that the Jewish people are still there. The Israelites are still on the scene, God's people. But yet these empires that seem so evil and so overwhelmingly powerful, they come and go. God's people are still around. For the Israelites, it's been 400 years since they've heard audibly from God. In the Old Testament, you see in the prophets that God is speaking constantly. Over and over again, he's speaking through his prophets of what he wants them to know. And then, 400 years, nothing. Where is God? Is he still there? Does he still even care? Does he remember everything that he said? Is he around? I'm sure those questions... Must have been going through Zechariah and Elizabeth's mind as well as the rest of the Israelites. Is he still there? Zechariah, he's a priest in the, uh, I'll flip here a second. Sorry, leave that up there for you. Zechariah is a priest in serving in the temple. His division was up to serve the division of Abijah. They would serve about two times a year and they would cast lots out of the 50 priests from that vision to actually be the one who gets to go in and burn the incense before the Lord. And this incense was to represent the prayers of Israel. So as he would do this, the Israelites would be gathered around outside the temple, and they would be praying to God. Now we learned here from the first few verses that Elizabeth and Zechariah were righteous, they were blameless, they were older in years, and they didn't have any children but yet they continued to serve. That'd be a difficult thing back in those days, to not have a children. It's a lot more of a sign of maybe God is not in your favor if you don't have a child. So they had a hard life, but yet they continued to faithfully serve. They continued to serve in the temple as Zechariah had that opportunity. And even now, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him to go in and be the one who burns incense before the Lord. So as he's performing these priestly duties, as he's going about walking blamelessly before the Lord, all of a sudden, let's look at verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. They've been praying for this. All the years that they've gone without a child, they've been praying, Lord, Lord, give us a child. And now an angel appears to tell them that they are going to have a child. Verse 14. The angel was standing on the right side of the altar. That's not an insignificant detail. Back in the Israelites, Israelites' angelology, their beliefs about angels, that the left side is where the angels would speak, and the right side is a place that's reserved for God. We know where Jesus is seated right now, right? At the right hand of the throne of God. So this news coming from the right side of the altar is, means this is God speaking. This is God telling you what is happening. And he declares to Zechariah that his prayers have been heard, finally. What a joyful thing to know that you've been praying all these years, and now finally, finally, you're going to have a child. And not just any child. He goes on to explain what this child is going to do. He has a great purpose. God has a purpose for this child, very unique purpose, and that's going to be your child. All these years of people wondering, are they really following the Lord? They don't have a kid. Maybe God's not looking favorably upon them. And now their child is going to do amazing, great things for God. It reminded me of Abraham and Sarah. Do you remember this story from Genesis? Where Abraham and Sarah are older in years, and God has promised to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand in the seashore, that is going to be your offspring. How many kids did Abraham have? None. And so he's like, okay, I don't see this happening. And then God says, I'm going to give you Isaac. Remember, Sarah laughs, <laughs> like, whoa, we're old. Don't you realize we're old? How can that really happen? Because we're old. Let me say it again. We're old. That, how is this going to work? But God, God can do anything. And with that promise of God blessing Abraham, He also provided the way to fulfill His promise. Here we have Zachariah and Elizabeth. Now they specifically weren't promised anything by God, but there was a promise that God made to His people. and God was going to fulfill that through, first through speaking to Zachariah and Elizabeth. Now, their names mean something. I'm going to share that with you in a second. Nowadays, our names don't really mean a whole lot. They're not like a prophesying of what you're going to do later in life, or at least I hope not, because we named our daughter Aubrey. She said I could share this with you. And Aubrey, that that name means elf king. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm not like anticipating that like Christmas time, she's going to try to rule the elves in the North Pole type of thing. Or, or that she'll be in Lord of the Rings and be that final ruler of the King of the Elves. So that's, yeah, I don't think that name means that that's what she's going to do with her life. At least I hope not. But Zachariah, his name, his name means God remembers. God remembers. His wife Elizabeth, her name means the oath of God. It's no coincidence that God chooses to first speak and made the lot cast to the one who name, whose name means together. God remembers the oath of God. After 400 years of silence, isn't that amazing to think about? God remembers the oath of God? He so I haven't forgotten I'm going to fulfill what I have said from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, we find that uh, God has promised, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. In Malachi 4, 5, this was the the final chapter of the Old Testament. See if this sounds familiar. And I also want you to be looking in verses uh, 16 and 17 of Luke chapter 1. Look at your your text as I read this and see if this sounds familiar. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn their hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter des- destruction. God has finally spoken. Years later, in Zechariah, he was not prepared. He wasn't ready for this news. He, he was a righteous man. He was living before the Lord in a way that would be pleasing to God. And yet when God spoke through this angel, he was not expecting it. <laughs> he was not prepared. And why would he expect it? It's been 400 years. But when God did speak, he wasn't prepared in his heart to receive what God had said and believe it. Let's look at verse 18. And Zachariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, just looking at that question, it doesn't look like it's really that bad. Look down in verse 34, if you would. When Gabriel, the same angel, approaches Mary, she has a very similar question to Zacharias. It looks pretty much the same. Mary said to the angel, verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? Both are saying, how is this going to happen? And Gabriel has two different responses to these individuals. And um, to Mary, Gabriel says, okay, let me explain it to you. And then he lays out how this is going to be. For Zechariah, when Zechariah asks the question, Gabriel says this. He says, I am Gabriel. A little different tone that we have here, don't we? He says, I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. A little different tone, a little different answer to the question. So what was the difference? Difference must have been what was in the heart. Mary wasn't doubting God's ability. Zechariah was. Mary wasn't doubting that God could fulfill what He had just said. Zachariah was doubting, didn't believe. God had clearly, from the right side of the altar, declared, "This is what's going to happen." He says, "How?" How is this going to happen? Don't you know how old I am? How easy is it it to come and not be ready to hear the word of God? Sometimes we can do that, right? Come to church and we're not ready to hear. We, We might be doing the right things. You know, our lives, like Zachariah, walking blamelessly, you know, doing all these good things and living before the Lord. And then when God says something that might be outside of what we think we're like, ah, eh, no, that, that's not for me. Or, Zachariah was doing a lot of good things. He probably would have believed the Lord in a lot of different areas, but this seems, I don't know if you can do this, God. Have we been there before? Have you been there and said, I know what the Bible says, I'm willing to do all the things that are comfortable and easy, but for you to do that, whew, I don't know if I believe it. But because of Zachariah's unbelief, He lost his ability to speak until everything happened as Gabriel had said. Elizabeth responded with, thus saith the Lord, all right? The Lord has done this for me. When he looked on me, he'd take away my reproach among the people. She seemed to already be ready and prepared to believe. Jesus is on his way. Zachariah was not prepared for it. Jesus is coming again. Did you know that? He's coming again are you prepared? You might be coming to church, you might do a lot of wonderful things for the Lord, but are you prepared to receive Jesus? And as we turn our attention to the next point here, are we prepared also for those who have been ready, for those who have already received Christ, are we prepared to help others? Are we ready to help prepare other people's hearts for Christ to come? That's what we're doing in the Christmas cantata that we have. I hope that's what you're doing with other friends you know who don't know Christ, that you're trying to prepare their hearts to receive Jesus. And what a merciful God, right? That he didn't just have 400 years of silence and then plop Jesus down and say, okay, here he is. He gave them time. He spoke to Zachariah and said, hey, get ready. Jesus is coming. I'm going to give you a son. And he's also going to help prepare and get people ready. But for nine months, in eight days, Zechariah had time to get his will aligned with God's. Time came. Let's look at verse 59. We're going to skip over now a, a chunk that we'll cover next week. We have the birth of John the Baptist foretold here. We want to look at verse 59, and we're going to kind of just walk through this a little bit together. On the eighth day, after John had been born, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zachariah after his father. That was the normal thing to do. Figured, hey, you guys are old, so we're just going to call him Zachariah. We'll name him. You don't need to worry about it. I know you can't talk, so we'll just name him Zachariah. No big deal. Obviously, that's going to be his name. It makes sense, because he has no other children, no one else to carry on the family name. No one else to uh, follow in his footsteps. But what did his wife say? No, he shall be called John, like the angel had said. And they said to her, "Uh, none of your relatives is called by this name. Like, are you sure about this? this? That's really outside of the norm. Why would you call him something different? It doesn't make sense. So they made signs to the father like, okay, that's what she said, all right. Dad, you get the final call. It's up to you. That was nice, but what do you say? What are we going to call this child? He asked for a writing tablet, verse 63, and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. Wow, really? John? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And immediately, as soon as he finally, all those things had come to pass like the angel had said, he was able to speak and immediately his mouth was open, verse 64, and his tongue loose, and he spoke. And what did he speak? Blessing God. I don't know about you, but if I was punished for nine months for not believing something, it would be very difficult for me to bless the one who punished me <laughs> with my first words. But he had time and prepared his heart. All that time to align himself with what what God had said. To believe and fully invest and say, I am on board with what you have for me, God, and what you have for my child. I am fully there so that when he was able to speak, he spoke blessing God, not cursing him. Verse 65, fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through Judea and all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up into their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. When Zacharias spoke, they, know, they knew that there was a different purpose for this child. There was something different about this one. If Zacharias is not going to name him after himself, if he is not going to name him and carry on the family name, that wasn't Zachariah's purpose anymore. It wasn't carry on the name. It wasn't... Um, Fulfill the priestly duties just like I have before you. It was clear that this child was created by God for a specific purpose, and Zechariah finally got on board. His heart was prepared and ready. He realized that he is just a steward of this child, just like we all are. If you have a child, you are just a steward. Our goal is not to get them to just be like us. We want them to know Christ. We want them to follow after Christ and fulfill God's will for their life, not ours. Zechariah uses his newfound gift of speech to bless the Lord. And now here is what he says. Let's look down in verse 67 to 79. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David, speaking of Jesus. And as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy, promise to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah, God remembers. God remembers. See this language that is just filled with God remembers. When his heart has finally been prepared, ready to believe all that God had said in the Old Testament, it's about to come true right here in Christ, He says, you remember that oath, you remember what you swore to Abraham, you remembered and you were delivering it and it's happening now. It's all beginning right now. What a tremendous, wonderful time for him to be alive, but not only be alive, to be a part of it, to see it, to have his own child, to be one of these ones who was prophesied to come. Verse 76, he addresses his attention now to his child. Before, it was to the people saying, hey, everybody, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Prepare your hearts. Get ready. I wasn't ready. I want you to be ready. I'm there now, but I want you to be prepared for Jesus to come. Then he looks to his child. says, and you, child, verse 76, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. How is he going to prepare? He's going to give knowledge of salvation to his people. In the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This child had a very distinct purpose to help prepare other people's hearts for the coming of Jesus. John lived then in the wilderness his entire life until he was to prepare for Jesus' ministry some 30 years later. It says in the following verse, verse 80, he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. I think that's significant. Remember who John is? He's the son of a Levite, Zechariah, the one who God spoke to, the Levite who was there when an angel appeared, the Levite who was selected to burn incense before the Lord, and also who's his mom. His mom is a daughter of Aaron, that first priest, that brother of Moses. I mean, he has the lineage of being a Levite to work in the temple and do all those sacrifices. And then what does he do? This child of promise that people wondered is that, man, God has some big plans for him and he's not in the temple? He's out in the wilderness? What's he doing out there? I believe it's because that when he comes, who is he supposed to be preparing people for? Jesus. He's not to be doing the sacrifices in the temple each and every day. Why? Because he wants to prepare people for the final sacrifice. He doesn't want to point people to the multiple sacrifices that keep having to happen. He's saying, no, there's one who is coming who's going to be the final sacrifice. He's going to end all of this. All this temple stuff is going away because we have Jesus Christ who's going to be that final sacrifice for our sins. He's not going to have to go and burn incense. (laughs) I don't have to go in and burn incense and represent those prayers going up to the Lord because I'm talking about Jesus who is the mediator. (laughs) He's going to go before the Lord on my behalf. This temple stuff is going away. The son of a Levite, a prominent Levite, he says, I don't need to be in the temple. I just need to prepare myself, grow strong in, became strong in the spirit Because I need to prepare people for the one who's going to do away with this temple. Because he is going to be the sacrifice. He's going to be that final one to fulfill all the law. Turn with me to Luke chapter 3. We're going to look at John the Baptist in a little bit here. and How he prepares their hearts. How he's going to point them to Jesus. In verse 2. It says, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, before we get there, I'm going to show you the two verses that come right before what he says here. Two verses that he's talking about in Isaiah chapter 40. He says, God says, comfort, comfort, says, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. He says, the people of Israel have sinned greatly, greatly. But what does God say to them? He says, comfort. Speak tenderly. Mercy. Your iniquity is pardoned. And then it goes to these next two verses that we see in Luke chapter 3. Why can we, we speak comfort even among great sin in Israel? Because the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall become straight. Through the rough places become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John the Baptist was preparing their hearts. And he was doing that by preaching repentance. Saying, yes, you have sinned greatly. There is so much sin in your life. But guess what? Comfort can come to you. Your iniquity can be pardoned. You can be saved from your sins because Jesus. Through Jesus. In him, in him alone, can you find salvation. But people had to be told. He had to preach the word to them. He had to tell them what was happening, what was coming, to prepare their hearts to receive Jesus. How are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And now, Jesus has already come. John was preparing them for Jesus' upcoming ministry, but we are blessed to have this, that we have seen the ministry of Jesus. We have seen him come. We have seen the miracles. We've heard the teachings. We've seen him die on a cross and rise from the dead. So we have seen that salvation is only in Christ. Are you prepared? Have you repented of your sins? Have you put your trust in Christ? If you have not been prepared, if you are not ready for that, I encourage you to ask questions. Search things out. Do you know who this Jesus is? Talk to somebody who can show you Christ. And if you have been prepared, you have received the Lord, you are ready. Now go and prepare the hearts of others. Preparing the hearts of others doesn't mean that you walk, just walk through the entire gospel every time. Sometimes to prepare their hearts, you just need to say, Hey, what do you think about the Bible? Do you have any questions? Maybe you just walk through a Bible study. Say, are you willing to study the Bible with me? We can, I can answer some of your questions for you. Say, who is this Jesus? And to just invite them to come to church, just as an initial way to help prepare their hearts for when they hear of Christ. Hear of salvation from sins that they're ready to receive him. You don't always just go in and say, well, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. What if they don't think they're a sinner? What if their heart hasn't even been prepared to hear that? We must preach what God's word says. We must prepare the hearts of others. Do you come prepared to hear the word? When you come to church, do you come prepared in your heart to receive whatever God's word is saying To go out and do it to believe it in your heart do you prepare yourself even when you open up your scriptures each and every day say lord i'm ready for what you're going to tell me through your word we need to prepare our hearts before god to be ready even for jesus's coming he's coming again are you ready are you prepared are your friends are your relatives are they prepared go and tell them Tell them this wonderful good news that Jesus is coming. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for opening up my heart and my eyes to be able to see and receive the truth of Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection of his coming. Thank you for doing that. Lord, I pray that you'll help me to each and every Sunday to be prepared to receive your word. Be prepared each and every day to hear from you of what you are calling me to do, what you are calling me to think and believe. And prepare me to be ready to go out to prepare others' hearts. Give me a desire for my friends and my relatives who don't know you. Give me a desire to see their hearts prepared, to be ready to receive Christ. Lord, we need your help with this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.